You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll explore two different kinds of homes the Bible teaches about and how we can build our home on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But if you would, please turn with me. If you have your Bible, you turn with me to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. And it's only one verse. And it says this, unless the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain who build it, except the Lord guards the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. I'd like to submit to you all a topic this morning, a tale of two houses. A tale of two houses. My wife and I enjoy looking at houses. We will sometimes drive around and look and say, oh, that's a nice house. Look at that house. We'll drive around. We'll look at the the porches and and the lawn and everything and say, wow, those are some really nice houses. And HGTV, amen, has been watched, recorded, rewound, and admired for many years even a few years ago, my wife and I ourselves said, we, we going to be HDTV. We going to be chipping Joanna. We going to go in and we going to renovate our own house. So we bought a house. Bought a house and we went and renovated it. And um, Real quick, let, let me just say this. Don't, don't get fooled into thinking that uh, a house renovation is as easy as it looks on HGTV. Amen. Uh, Matter of fact, I feel like every single show should have a little disclaimer on the bottom of 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 the screen that says remodeled objects on shows are harder than they appear. Amen. Uh, Because uh, we uh, struggled, to say the least. And I believe that there's a there's a, a a picture of this. We. Yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, that, that's a picture of what um, remodeling can look like. So we had bought this old house, uh, older, older house, and um, we decided, my wife and I, we were going to go ahead and demo the house our, ourselves. And um, we didn't know it looked like that. So what happened was instead of uh, uh, going into this, all smiling, we left out like, I can't believe we just did this. It is a challenge, and it seemed as if the harder we worked and the harder we planned, we met challenge after challenge after challenge. Y'all, we struggled. We prayed, and we struggled, and it just seemed as if there was no let up. And at one point, we even switch contractors. We went different directions. We were trying to do the best we could, but it wasn't until we stopped and just looked around and just realized we've been struggling and going through this thing for a long time now. So my wife and I stopped what we were doing. We brought the oil to the house and we prayed right there in the living room. And we took the oil and we anointed 
the walls. We anointed the floors. We anointed the outside. We anointed the downstairs, the upstairs. We anointed the house. The house literally dripped with oil so that when we actually got a chance and let go of what our, we were trying to do with the house, that's when God stepped in and built the house as it should have been built so that it, this turned into this. The verse says this, except or unless the Lord builds the house. See, in Hebrew, the, the, word, the word for house can actually mean family. So now let's take that word again. Unless the Lord builds the family, mm, they labor in vain that build it. So let's talk about this. What makes a house a home or what makes a house true? Well, first of all, houses have to have a foundation. Houses must have a foundation. And we think about a house. No house is ever built without a good foundation. And even God himself said this in Psalm 104 and 5. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. It's amazing. God who sits high and looks low built houses from the bottom up, the bottom. He went down to the earth. It's amazing because when God started the family, he went down into the ground, got some dirt from the earth, and formed a man, breathed into him the breath of life, took from him a rib, and then became that became woman. So now man and woman became the first family, but it had to be foundationally laid. There was a foundation that had to be created. Well, it also goes on to says this, that in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. But let each one of you take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So no house can stand without a foundation. Your house is not able to stand without having something solid for it to stand upon. So imagine a builder building a house, goes and looks for a place to build a house, goes and finds the swampiest area, an area that's prone to flood, and says, all right, that's the place I'm going to build the house my house. And so he goes and builds a house. Matter of fact, goes and gets the most expensive materials, the best wood, the best, the best uh, nails, the best screws, the best uh, everything. Goes and, and goes and builds the house on this swampy area. Then the builder comes through and they start to erect this great lavish house. But after a while, before they can even finish the house, the house begins to lean and sag, and shift, and move. Why? Because there's nothing stable for the house to sit on. So when we attempt to establish our family without Jesus, we ultimately build families that are designed to move, be unstable, 
and ultimately collapse because there's nothing solid for the family to be built on. See, foundation is the word foundation in Greek actually can mean something, a thing that's laid down. You laid down a foundation. Well, Jesus said it like this in John 10. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my father. So let's think about it like this. Jesus is telling us this. Listen, your family won't be a family unless I lay down my life and you build your family upon me. Jesus taught it to us like this in Matthew 7. These words I speak to you, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed, somebody say fixed. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. And when the, when the storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Y'all, a house cannot be built without a foundation. But secondly, a house must have maintenance. Every house is gonna go through some situations and some trials that will attempt to compromise the integrity of the house. Leaky pipes, roof repair, squeaky door hinges, the list can go on and on. It can be tiresome to deal with. But in every house, they must be maintenance, or every house must be maintained. But the question is, who's in charge of maintaining the house? See, I remember when I was living in an apartment. I was living in an apartment before I got married. I was living in it during grad school and after grad school. And I had a situation where my hot water heater wasn't working. So I called the superintendent or the manager of the building. And he came and he fixed the hot water heater. Why? Because it was his responsibility to come by and make sure that whatever was broken inside of my home, he came in to fix it. And he came in to address it. Matter of fact, any other, other tenants inside of the building, he came in to address the problem. So then the question that God is asking us this morning, what role are you playing in your family? Parents, are you leaving your situations inside your house unmanaged? Are you passively allowing situations to become out of control? Are you addressing the problems, situations, or are you allowing them to leak and break and move out of control. See, 
The same thing happened with the children of Israel. See, they had been gone in exile. And when they were gone in exile, the house of God was in disrepair. And so they had an opportunity to go back and repair the building. But see, the problem was when they got back, they were so concerned about their own self that they didn't consider the house of God. And so Haggai, the prophet, prophesied and said this in the first chapter of, of Haggai. says, is it, time, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? First Timothy Timothy said it, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy says it like this in 1 Timothy 3. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He goes on to say, so in the fifth chapter, so I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Y'all, we have had houses that have gone unmanaged. We have had families that have been going unmanaged. So if you want to have a house to be at home, first of all, you have to have a foundation. Second of all, you have to make sure that the house is maintained or the house has maintenance. But lastly and thirdly, the house has to have occupants. See, houses were built for the purpose of having someone live there. Houses don't, that don't have anyone to call that place a home is really just a building without purpose. So too is it like a family. A family was designed and created by God for himself to dwell in and be a part of. See, just as a house with no inhabitants is a building without unfulfilled purpose, with unfulfilled purpose, the family without God's presence it's just a group of people with an unfulfilled purpose. I'm going to say that again. The family without God's presence is just a group of people with an unfulfilled purpose. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16 says it like this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And so now the Lord gave me this topic, a tale of two houses. As we look back at our, our key verse in Psalm 127 and 1, it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. See, the Lord was showing me in this key verse that there's two houses. There's the house that man builds, then there's the house that the Lord builds. So then this verse really means that there are two houses. And as I was preparing for this lesson, I'll be honest, I was, I, I, I heard God give me this message, this title, A Tale of Two Houses, but then I began to think about how this uh, one house could be shown, and then I could show you another house, and then everybody could be look like, okay, I want, I want the good house and not the bad house, and then we all would praise God, and we go on about our business, amen? But this is what God showed me, that as I was preparing and I was reading and I was studying, God was showing me this, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. That really it's not two houses. Really there's one house that's been built in two different ways. 
So what does that look like? Well, let me show you what that looks like. If you will, follow along with me in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter. I'm going to read to you all some, some of these verses, and I, just follow along with me. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off your, all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. In the 11th, the 11th verse, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And it goes on to say, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Let me, let me allow me to break this down just a little bit. David was a man after God's own heart. That's what we know about David, right? David was the shepherd boy that God chose to be the new king over Israel. The old king, Saul, he rejected because Saul had rejected his commandments. He said that I'm going to do it my own way and had pride. And so God rejected him. He chose David, the shepherd boy. David, the shepherd boy, goes and serves Saul. Saul turns crazy, tries to kill David. David runs for his life. Almost the entire time he's serving Saul. And so now Saul has died. And David is up and becomes the new king over all of Israel. And so David serves God and David worships God. David has the heart of a worshiper. And so now during this time of worship, during this time, he is speaking to God. God speaks to him and he tells him, listen, I'm going to establish your house forever your house forever your the kingdom will endure forever before me now this is awesome this is a, a privilege this is a loving awesome opportunity to be able to say oh yes lord my house or my family is going to be taken care of forever my house my family god thank you imagine that now the thing about this david's family was uh not perfect by any means. David sinned. He sinned in his house. Saw another woman bathing. Said, I want to have her. Goes and takes her. Goes and sleeps with her. Then also takes her husband, has him killed. So now there's this place where David and his new woman, his new wife, he takes her as his wife, Bathsheba. Now they're in this place where they've been living in this sin. And, and, and the prophet Nathan comes and, and, and reveals that sin to David. So as he was revealing that sin to David, he realizes that, oh, I messed up, God. I'm so sorry. He repents. He relents. And he just says, God, I'm so sorry. But there's something that happens. The, the child that resulted from that sin died. One. 
That, that child died. You keep flipping over in, in 2 Samuel. You keep going over. You read about David's other son, Amnon, sees his sister, says, I, I love my sister. I want to have her, and actually goes and forcibly takes his sister and assaults her. So now there's a second death because her virginity has been taken from her and her innocence has been taken from her. So now that same young man, Amnon, is then now dealt with because his son, other son, Absalom, David's other son, Absalom, goes and talks to Amnon, says, you know what? I'm going to kill you. So he does. He kills him. He plots to kill him. And so now there's a third death. Well, now Absalom tries to raise up a coup against his father, David. And now they're, they're in, that, in that circumstance, Absalom then becomes killed. Now there's a fourth death inside of David's family. David, the same house that God said, oh, yeah, your house will be established forever. We see David's family in disrepair. How many of us have been trying to go about this thing? Do this thing the way God told us to do it. And then we messed up. And all of a sudden, now we see the enemy try to infiltrate and get inside of our family. How many of us have had situations of death and destruction, death and separation inside of our own, inside of our own families? See, what God was showing me in this was that it wasn't because it was David that all of this stuff was happening. It wasn't because it was David. It, these things were happening because God was showing us that these same things can happen in our own family. See, but when God established David's house, he was really telling him and directing him to Jesus. How do I know this? Because in Revelation, the book of Revelation, the 22nd chapter, Jesus says this, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Oh, wait, wait, what does that mean? It means that the reason why David's family was established is because Jesus was the root of it. Jesus was the foundation of it. Well, he's also the offspring of David because now we're saying that David's house is going to be established forever because Jesus is going to reign forever. So for some of us, maybe we think that when we build our house, we can build it on wealth. If we build our house and we have our wealth, our house is going to be taken care of. If we build our family and we're wealthy, everybody's going to be taken care of. Grandmama, granddaddy, mama and them, everybody's going to be taken care of. Or maybe we think we can build our house on tax breaks. I'll move on. Or maybe you can build your house on your own power and your own thinking. But listen, God didn't say unless you build your house on your own thinking. He says unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So I need you to understand this, that you have a place in God's family. See, when God builds your house, though attacks may come against it, your house will still stand. When God builds your house, there is restoration for you. And when God builds your house, there is a place 
for you there. Jesus said it like this in John 14. My father's house has many rooms. Wait a minute. My father's house. My father's family has many rooms. There's, there's many places in my father's family. And if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. But listen, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me. So that where you are, that where you are also may, that where you also may be where I am. Listen, Jesus went to go and prepare a place for you because he wanted a place for you inside of his family. See, every house has many rooms, many rooms. Now, I'll be honest, if well, I, I want you all to be honest, actually. If I have somebody to come over to my house, or maybe you invite somebody to come to your house, what are you going to do? You, um, you're going to be like this. Uh, babe, babe, where's the broom? Where is the broom? Because uh, why? Because we need to we gotta sweep up this room, right? So maybe we need to wipe down some stuff. Maybe we got to pick up some stuff. Maybe we need to fluff the pillows. Maybe we got to go inside the bathroom, make sure the bathroom, oh, y'all just going to look at me like y'all don't clean y'all house. Okay, but maybe it's just me. I'll speak to me. You know, uh, you know, babe, you know, this is what happens. You know, when we have people come over to our house, you know, we got to clean the house sometimes because we just live in the house and ain't nobody that's there. And we don't want nobody to see that we really dirty. Uh, now, Every house has many of the same features, right? Many of the same rooms, big or small. There's different parts of the house and everyone that everyone can relate to. Now, uh, you got the bathroom, you got the kitchen, you got the living room. If somebody invites, if you invite somebody to your house, that living room is going to be clean. That bathroom is going to be clean. Now, the kitchen the kitchen might be clean if you can't hide the kitchen. But if you can hide the kitchen, it may not get clean. Thank you. Some of y'all being real with me. Thank you all. Why? Well, listen, there's parts of the house that we really don't want people to see. But listen, I need you all to stay saved now. Hold on just a second. Stay saved. Now, imagine that that person that you invited to your house started going through your medicine cabinet. Uh, what happens if that person finds their way to the back closet? Not the front closet, but the back closet. What if they found their way to your junk drawer? Yeah, see, that would be a problem with this. Uh, I'm going to move on. Um, how would you feel? Well, why are we talking about junk drawers in the back closets? It's because... How many of us have these places in our homes, but we're too ashamed to allow others to know about it? When we consider our families, how many of us have places in our family that we're too ashamed and too embarrassed to talk about? I mean, if we're talking about family, let's be real about it. Like, if, if, if we're willing to talk about these real issues and the real things that we, we do real good with the stuff that we want people to see. We, we do real good with the living room, right? We do real good with the bathroom and maybe the kitchen. That looks real good. But what about the back closet? What about the junk drawer? Well, why are we talking about this? Is because what goes inside of the back closet and the junk drawer? Things that are broken. 
You open up my junk drawer right now, that something is broken inside the junk drawer. Or how about this? Maybe you go in there, you say, I don't, rem I don't really know what this is for, so I'm just going to put it here. Or what about the things that you say, I, I don't really know if this is really valuable, but I don't want to get rid of it for real, so let me put it in the back closet. Why are we talking about these things? It's because in families, you may have been broken because someone mishandled you. See, these things that are inside the junk drawer, it's because I mishandled it and it's broken. So you may, maybe you felt left out. Maybe you felt ostracized. Maybe somebody devalued your worth. And so your brokenness was hidden away inside the junk drawer, inside the back closet, because you felt too embarrassed to have that part of you seen. Your trust might have been broken. Your faith might have been broken. Your innocence might have been taken from you. And when you consider your own value and place inside the family, you were tucked away and forgotten about. So now your own self-worth is gone. Marriages and families have been fractured because of drunk, drunk drawer mentalities and back closet feelings. Let me say that again. Marriages and families have been fractured because of junk drawer mentalities and back closet feelings. But understand this. Understand this. When God builds the house, there's a place for you there. You have a place in God's house. Do you all remember the story of Mephibosheth? And Mephibosheth was, was Saul's grandson, and Saul's house was being just ripped apart because of Saul's just sinful, hurtful, shameful, just prideful arrogance. And, and Mephibosheth, the grandson, as an infant, the servant of Saul's house was running away with Mephibosheth in his arms. And he drops Mephibosheth. His legs are lame. Now he's living, growing up as a grown man, has family, but he's broken. He's been living, at, he's been, instead of having servants serve him, he's living in the house of the servant. And yet, David, the king, wanted to love Saul in spite of Saul. And so what he does, it says, you know what, I want to find, where can I, is there anybody from Saul's house that I can show love to? He said, yes, there's Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth comes and he says, listen, you will always have a place at my table to eat forever. But Mephibosheth is broken. He says, why would you want to be with a dead dog like me? We have been in a place where the junk drawer is our reality. All we can see is the drawer. All we can see is the back closet. The things that are hidden, the 
things that have been broken, the things that have been hurtful. We've been abused, we've been mishandled, we've been mistreated. Those things have been inside of our back closet for a long time. But listen, whatever your place of brokenness, Jesus wants you to be a part of his family. Jesus wants you to be his blood relative. In the family of Christ, we are all blood related. Let me say that again. In the family of Christ, we are all blood related. So how do I know this? Well, when we look at Mark, Gospel of Mark, the third chapter, says this beginning at the 31st verse. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. See, you are a part of the family of Christ. Look around you. Look around you. These are your brothers. These are your sisters. These are your mothers and your fathers. That even if your own biological mother and father, even if they mistreated you, God says that there's still a place for you in my family. Psalm 27 and 10 says this, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. We're going to end a little differently today. Normally at the beginning of service, I would have you all, we would all stand and we would grab hands with the person next to you. But God showed me the end of this message, the end of this service from the beginning. And what he showed me was this, that you may have been experiencing brokenness in your family. You have maybe felt the pain of being an outcast, separated, hurt from abuse, shamed for not being good enough, going through separation, going through divorce, Maybe you've just been struggling to try to keep your family together through brokenness, frustration, and bitterness. Maybe you've been the product of a family who turned away from God. Or maybe you yourself tried to do things to establish your family in your own power and your own pride. Repent, because God is here. God is saying, come be a part of my family. I, the Lord, have established a family. I will love you forever. No matter what life may bring, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We are all one family. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.